Hey there, this is Gary Rogowski for the Northwest Woodworking Studio. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Today's topic, I remember when I first started. It's so useful, particularly as a teacher, to think back to uh, one's beginning days. Uh, Those uh, (laughs) unformed, ignorant days. You didn't know where you were headed. So important to remember when you're when you're trying to teach someone else. You do a demonstration with your normal hand, your dominant hand, and you whiz right through it. Try and do it with your off hand. See how you do. That's an eye-opener. Anyways, uh, I, I wanted to just talk about this. I've got some students starting next week in our resident mastery program, and so I'm, I'm uh, dedicating this to them. And I uh, hope, hope they'll listen and uh, take heed. Because when you first start out, it's it's very much like a hike, the hike I took this morning. You start out all eager, you're ready, you're energized, and let's go, and here we are, and boom, 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 you're pounding up the trail. You get in, and you start to have expectations about, okay, so where is this leading, and are we there yet? And Your body starts to complain a little bit, or my body starts to complain a little bit. There's this sense of purpose, but not a sense of where it's going to end or how it's going to be along the way. It's a, it's a complete unknown, and education is that same way, I fear. I know if you're going for a master's degree in X, like communications, um, you expect uh, certain things to come with that. Ali, a student uh, with a PhD, I'm sure had expectations about where that was going to lead him, and now he's dove into making furniture. Go and figure. Go and figure that stuff. My own path started in college. I, people have asked me, did I do woodworking as a kid? And the answer is a resounding no. My dad did a little bit. Therefore, I didn't want to have anything to do with it. He was a tough guy to be around. And, uh, you know, he built some furniture, built me a desk, and did some stuff for the local church. You know, it was just something he did for a little while. And uh, I had no interest. I was training to be a literateur, a, uh, an author perhaps. I'm going to get a master's degree and then maybe a PhD and go teach and publish or perish and, you know, that whole game. And instead, at this wacky school I went to, I met these physics majors. And they showed me a side of the world I had never seen before. I had never seen the world like the way they saw it through their eyes. I'll tell you a story. It is a fall evening. There's, I don't know, five or six of us, and we're going to go up to this mountain and watch the moon rise. Um, The physics majors know that the moon was going to be full that evening, and seeing it rise above the horizon, it's extra large. For some reason, they could tell you I could not. And so we were heading up to this promontory. You could drive right up to it, short hike, and uh, watch the moon rise uh, next to the mountain. And uh, this, this was going to be fun. Uh, we, uh, we were uh, not dressed to be out in cool weather. We were dressed to get high, which is what we were doing out there. Uh, you know, having a few beers and, and uh, smoking some weed and um, waiting for the moon to come up. And it was, uh, it was me and my friend Joel, the astronomer, and... And Petros and Bob and Mike, 
Yeah, there was a bunch of us. I just put it that way. There was a bunch of us. And, and they were all physics majors, and I was not. And so in the course of this, this evening, as we were waiting for the moon to rise, I always started to shiver in the, in the uh, cool breeze of evening. These fellows started to embark on a conversation that I could only listen to and marvel at. Here it is. They started to wonder, one, one of them, I think it was Petros, they started to talk about how cold it was and the ambient temperature and uh, how fluids react in this temperature and uh, what if it got really cold and then what if it got really, really cold and then what if it got super cold and could you be taking a leak off this promontory and it would be so cold that it would your urine would freeze before it hit the ground and uh, perhaps even freeze as it hit the ground and pull you over. And this is an incredibly stupid conversation that one can only have on your eye. And, and there I was listening to it. I had nothing to add to it. I could only guffaw at, uh, at, and marvel at uh, these minds that could come up with such a, such a, a problem to consider. It's a, uh, I have to say I'm not immune to, to stupid mathematical conversations. Uh, I remember being on an airplane once, empty plane back in the old days, and um, sitting with a guy trying to figure out the circumference of the earth based on how fast we were traveling and the sunset and, you know, just sitting on a plane, having a drink, got nothing to do. Let's do stupid math tricks. Okay. So here are my buddies trying to figure out this, uh, this math problem. I think stupid math conversations are one of those proofs that we are alive. Cogito stupidum ergo sum. I think stupid stuff, therefore I am. Anyway, when they were, you know, having a good time and I was there. It didn't last long. In weed time, probably it seemed like three hours. But, but you know, it was probably three minutes. Probably a fairly short conversation. And no conclusions were reached. But it was astonishing to me to watch these minds at work. Because I was trained as a, as a literary critic. I could uh, talk about uh, themes, symbolism. I wasn't good at physical reality. That stuff I had no, no clue about. But these guys could talk about molecules and star systems. They would do experiments. And uh, one of the teachers, I think, had a lathe in his lab, and, you know, they would do stuff. They would try stuff out. And I thought this was pretty interesting to actually, you could be thinking about stuff and use your hands. What a concept, instead of just pounding out 30 pages on André Gide. It was a fascinating thing to watch. So I continued to hang with these guys. Um, Joel and Wheaton were both motorheads, so um, I thought, well, maybe I should do this. You know, I didn't know anything about it mechanics, but maybe I should try this. And, and I had a short stint as a um, sacrificer to the uh, wrench gods. I mean, the blood sacrifices I had to give every day were just too, too much for me. Uh, I, I wasn't much of a mechanic, but I, you know, I lasted a winter. I talked my way into a job and I lasted a winter doing it and working on Volkswagens. And it was fine, but it was clearly not for me. It was not, not the job for me. So I, I, uh, I came back to Portland, and uh, and Joel at that time was, uh, he had picked up a lathe himself, and he was starting to turn stuff on the lathe. Well, metalwork wasn't for me. I didn't, that didn't 
hold any charms for me. But I thought, what about this woodworking stuff? Maybe I could try and do some woodworking. And I was sleeping in his garage at the time. So uh, uh, he had a really tiny, tiny house. So I decided I would build a workbench out there, and I did. And I built the thing, and I and I gave it the test that I, I use to this day. I jumped up and down on it with my big boots on, and uh, that's that's how I test my work. Uh, no, I don't use that that test today. But that was my test then: get up on it and jump up and down on it. Good enough. I started to do this woodworking stuff, and and uh, at a certain point, uh, made the choice just to dive in and teach myself how. Joel moved moved out on his way to Hawaii, and. The telescope's out there, and, and uh, Jane and I moved into uh, his house, tiny, tiny little house, and there was a basement shop, and that was hidden away, which was good, because I needed to hide. I was going to teach myself, and there was going to be swearing involved, so I needed to hide away, and it was underground. It was perfect for me. I did my thesis on Dostoevsky notes from underground. It was perfect for me. Just head down into the basement, start my study, and it took... It took some time, I got to tell you. It took uh, about four years before I finally did something that I thought was worthwhile. And the struggle, the struggle. Back then, there was no place to really get information. I didn't want to go back east and go to one of the universities back there. Um, There were only a couple, really, that did any kind of woodworking. There was nothing on the West Coast. And so I had to teach myself. And I didn't want to go apprentice at a cabinet shop because I didn't want to build cabinets. I wanted to build fine furniture, whatever that meant. Fine furniture. There's this renaissance of, of craft work. And I wanted to be a part of it. And I thought, well, this won't be like a job. <laughs> this won't be like running a business. And so that was my start. I had no clue. But I stumbled on blindly forward, which was a good enough method. It, it gets you down the path. It leads you, leads you somewhere. What I discovered as I was teaching myself is that I had some small aptitude for this work. I was extremely frustrated by the pace of it and frustrated with myself. Th- those are a couple of the things that, that one really has, has to uh, come to terms with. And I'll, I'll be speaking with my students about this. The, pr- the problem is when you begin, you know what great looks like, at least in your mind. You say, this, look at this guy's stuff, or look at this gal's stuff. This is great stuff. That's what I want to be doing. And then, and then you try and do it, and it's nowhere close to that. Your standards are really high, but your skills are really low. So there's this great imbalance that's tough to sit with. That's very tough to sit with. But I go back to the analogy of the hike. You have to remember that you're not going to get there right away. You have to make all the steps to get to the end of the hike, and that's just how it works. There are no shortcuts. Everyone wants to be there now. I'm going to think I'm going to be a woodworker this weekend. I know nothing about it. I'm going to build a chair. Ah, yes, so you are. Well, good luck. We've decided to build one of the most complex projects that we face next to building an instrument or a boat. No, there's, there's effort required and dedication to the journey. It's going to take some time. You start off on this hike and you say, well, it's X number of paces, miles, kilometers long. 
it's not going to be done in five minutes. It's not going to be done in 15 minutes or two hours or however long it might take. And so you have to settle into that. You have to settle into that pace. You have to settle into that sense that this is going to take some time and enjoy this, enjoy the steps. So on my hike today, I'm going up this, uh, it's fairly open hillside, pretty, pretty brown this time of year and windy, man, it was windy. It's, it's so funny and and you'd think I'd remember this stuff, but it's so funny that the hike has this, the hike has this first part to it, which is very much like how it feels when I start drawing. It's kind of uncomfortable. It's not, I'm not right yet. It doesn't feel good. It's, I'm getting used to it. It's, you know, my drawings are not right, and I'm not right, and the hiking's not right. My legs don't feel good, and I'm, you know, I'm cruising along. I'm not huffing and puffing, but I'm just, you know, it's... And what it's about is about getting your mind focused. And a half hour in, truly, a half hour in on either the hike or doing a design, all of a sudden, the mind, it's like (laughs) double vision becomes single and purposeful, and you know what you're doing. And your thoughts are clear on the hike, your step is sure, and you know when you're designing what is right and what isn't. And it takes that warm-up, that half an hour of time or, or whatever, to get to that spot. And you can't skip that step. You cannot skip that uncomfortable warm-up, that, that spot, that, that place that, yeah, I want to get out of it. I want to get to the end. I want to be there. No, you've got to work through it. And only by working through it are you able to come to this, I'm going to call it creative side, where you start to experience flow, where you start to experience oneness with your purpose, with your tools, with your hike, with your body, I don't know, wherever you are at, whatever you're doing. But it's something that doesn't come by flipping on a light switch, the analogy is flipping on a light switch. It's not that simple. You have to fight your way through to it. And I wish it were simpler, but it probably wouldn't be as great if it, if it were that simple. So there's this warm-up period. There's this exercise we need to do in order to get ready. We need to prepare ourselves to be ready to be creative, to be at one with our thoughts. And, and once we're there, who knows where, you're gonna, where it's going to go. So for my hike, uh, for my hike, I you know, found that it took that half an hour and I'd already hit the peak and I was coming back. It was only an hour and a half walk. And uh, I knew I was headed back home, but it was only, you know, 45 minutes, an hour into it that I started to say, okay, this is what I want to be thinking about. This is why I took all those steps so I could get to this point and be thinking about this stuff. And that's that's the value of of a hike for me. 
yeah, I'm outside. Yeah, I'm getting some exercise in. Yeah, I'm seeing some beautiful stuff. But it's taken my brain for a walk. It used to be with the Beagle, you know, we'd have these conversations. <laughs> Dog owners, you know what I'm talking about. We would have these conversations. And that was important. But still, it, it, it takes it takes that time on the trail or at the at the bench with your notebook, at the computer sometimes, writing, to get to that place where things are flowing from you, where they make sense. And for those beginners, it's going to take a little bit longer because you don't know what's right and what's wrong. You don't know how it feels to, to be in that current. It just takes time. I was recently given this quote attributed to Peter Follinsby. i got to get in touch with him and make sure this is, this is his because it's great. Uh, good judgment is the result of experience. Experience is the result of bad judgment. Couldn't be more true. And that's what every beginner must face, that journey of bad experiences, choices that didn't turn out quite right, and putting that into your kit bag and understanding the value of it, learning through those failures. And it takes time. All these journeys take time. But if you're persistent, if you understand that it takes time, you get there. It's not going to look anything like you thought it was going to look like. It'll be completely different. That's good. That's fine. But you have to start and have to recognize that it takes time. So I remember when I first started, oh, I was a knucklehead. Still am, but <clears throat> I know a couple of things now. And so I was working, uh, we had just finished up a stool class last week, and the students all glued up their stools, and there was, you know, lots of fussing and struggle and all this stuff. And there were, you know, three sets of hands to help get the seat on the, on the stool. And I waited until everyone had left and got my stuff prepped and got the seat all ready and got to a, uh, a good spot. All my tools were ready, I was ready, and put it on. It was no big deal. Just put the seat on, not a lot of struggle. I'd been there before. I'd done it before. That experience means a lot. And I could feel it. I could feel that that flow. It just, everything worked. Worked right. And that was satisfying. You'll get there. You will get there. Keep at it. Keep doing good work. Anyway, I'm going to stop blathering. Thanks. Um, so, thanks so much for listening. Please check us out. Check out the Northwest Woodworking Studio website, northwestwoodworking.com. See our fall schedule of classes. And uh, check out my book if you haven't uh, got a copy of it yet. Handmade, Creative Focus in the Age of Distraction. Who's distracted? What? Me? <laughs> we all are, I'm afraid. I think that uh, it's, it's worth slowing down <clears throat> to uh, take a look around. Thanks again. Take care. Bye-bye.